pray. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you um, for a day of worship. We thank you for our church. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And now, Lord, as we study your word, we ask that you, through your spirit, would teach us, instruct us, correct us, and reprove us, train us in righteousness, that we might be complete and ready for every good work. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. There is a handout if you um, don't have one. Tanya's got them up here in the front. Um, And the handout's really just the scriptural references um, that I'll be pointing to. Um, Joe asked Don and I to do a four-week series um, for this Truth in Life class. And he really didn't tell us anything more than that. We could do whatever we wanted to do. And we are really attempting to teach on something that we struggle with. And that is how our faith as Christians impacts and informs our lives on a daily basis. Um, In our homes, in our jobs, with our money, and in our relationships. And again, I just want to reiterate this. We are not up here as experts. We are up here as fellow pilgrims who are struggling um, to live out and work out our faith. And the unifying theme of these four weeks is grace does not leave us where it finds us. And I think that's true. When we truly experience God's grace, it moves us. It changes us. It doesn't leave us where it finds us. It draws us to Jesus, um, and then it moves us back out into the world. And that holds true when grace first touches us in salvation, and it holds true when grace, God's grace um, touches us in our day-to-day lives as Christians. But it's been my experience, and I don't know if it's been yours, that sometimes grace does not move me to the extent that it probably should. Um, I know I'm supposed to be... There are two seats right here if y'all want to. I know I should be a new creature in Christ. But sometimes the new me and the old me are not very different. Sometimes... I'm very much like the world that's around me. Um, And Don spoke last week about how we can compartmentalize our lives, um, where God's grace kind of shapes certain parts of our lives, but not others. And, um, you know, I I find that true, and I struggle with it. And I want to start, and this may be a bit of a stretch, but I want to start with a short clip from The Godfather. And this scene is a bit extreme, but I think it vividly captures where I find myself at times. Um, And this scene really juxtaposes two different events that are taking place simultaneously. How many people have seen The Godfather? Okay, so this you're you're gonna you're gonna recognize this. Two different scenes taking place simultaneously. One is in church, and it's the baptism of Michael Corleone's nephew. And then interleaved are scenes of the preparation for some brutal murders that Michael Corleone has ordered that his men take out. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, And there's this kind of montage editing where you go back and forth, 
we're going to stop before it gets, before the murders are actually carried out. <laughs> because it just didn't seem appropriate to show that in Sunday school. Um, and I think I'm on the edge anyway just showing this movie. It's an R-rated movie. so um, And it's pretty short, so if you want to close your eyes and close your ears, you can. Um, but that's it. D.Y., would you have anything else to say in terms of setup? Oh, thank you, yeah. one of his men getting prepared do you believe for the murder. in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church? I do. You see all his men getting prepared. Men coming down the steps are about to be killed. Shut your eyes, we're, sp we're supposed to stop here. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean for you to see that. <laughs> um, but I just think that's so effective to have this man standing in church with this baby and going through affirming the Apostles' Creed and then being asked those questions, do you renounce Satan? And all of this is going on in his other, the other part of his life. And the verse that came to mind is in Matthew 7, 6. And it's, it's the first one on your um, handout. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written... This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I watch this and I can think, oh, how awful. But then I think, okay, maybe not to this extent, but is that same quote true of me? Am I a hypocrite who honors God with my lips but my heart is far from him. You know, I can stand in church as we did two weeks ago at baptism. You know, I renounce Satan. 
But then do I go out and do murder in my heart with anger? Do I stand in church as we did today, you know, um, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me, but then harbor unforgiveness in my heart? So I really, I, I, I think there's something here that, and I don't know about you, but I can feel kind of split. Um, I can honor God with my lips, but my heart can be far from Him. Does that make sense? So my question is, is how do we become less split? How do, how do we become more whole, more complete? How do I really let God's grace impact and inform my life, especially in my relationship with others? How do I let God's grace move me as I deal with the difficult people in my life? We all have difficult people in our lives. Some of them are our spouses. Some of them are our ex-spouses. Some of them are our mothers or our fathers, our brothers or our sisters, somebody in business. I don't think any of us are immune from difficult people. So how do we let God's grace move us as we deal with them? And this is a pretty broad topic. And I have to say these four weeks, this, this, our, our idea of what these weeks were going to look like has kind of changed. Um, and what I really want to concentrate on this morning is the whole concept of forgiveness. Because I think that is foundational to every relationship we have. It's certainly in our marriages, certainly with our children, with our parents, with our extended family, friends, community, um, you name it. Um, and really what I want to do is, is look at a short passage in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And you've got this on your handout. And Jesus is with his disciples. And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And I love Peter because I'm like that. I want formulas. Just give me a number. Let me check it off my to-do list. Um, so I love Peter. How often will, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then Peter answers his own question. He says, as many as seven times. And Peter's doing a little apple polishing here because the rabbis in Judaism taught that you really could, you had to forgive a repeated sin against you three times. So Peter's kind of doubled that and added one, come up with a perfect number, and he says, okay, as many as seven times. But then Jesus leapfrogs Peter's answer. Um, Jesus says, I say to him, uh, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then Jesus tells a parable to really underscore this point. And Jesus uses this parable to correct Peter and to correct his disciples and really to correct us some 2,000 years later. I think we can all find ourselves in this story. So the parable goes like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven 
may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him to owe him 10,000 talents. Now that's an extraordinary sum. Um, that is a staggering debt, and it's an impossible amount to pay. So this man owes 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And I want to pause right there and just ask you, what do you notice about the king's pardon? Yeah, he gave him more than he asked for. How? Because he said, all he asked was, I'll pay, uh, give me time to pay, pay you back. Yeah. Released him and forgave the entire debt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Did everybody hear what Rita said? That he really gave, the, that the, the king gave the servant more than he asked for. The servant asked for more time, and the king forgave him the whole debt freely and completely. You know, if somebody owed me a million dollars, and they came, and they fell on their knees, and they implored me, um, I might forgive the debt, but I would extract something. <laughs> you know, a monthly installment plan. You know, buy me lunch for the rest of my life. Um, be my butler. I would come up with something to get in exchange for what I was giving. But the king really gives freely and completely. Um, and not only is it extraordinarily kind and merciful, merciful to forgive a debt so enormous, but it's also very costly to forgive like this. Because the, ultimately, the king pays the price of the debt. He absorbs it in himself. So, um, so we've got the servant. He's forgiven of this enormous debt. But then we read, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, not an insignificant amount of money, but certainly less than the 10,000 talents, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Um, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Now, do you notice anything in the posture and the words of this second servant? Yeah, Brad's right. It's the exact same posture, and it's the exact same words. And Jesus is purposeful about everything. And I can't help but think that Jesus is deliberately putting up a mirror so the first servant can see himself in the second servant. Does that make sense? Okay. So, you've got this fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. But the first servant refused 
and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Why do you think the fellow servants were distressed? It's unfair. It's unfair. Yeah. What's unfair? Well, he was forgiven and he wouldn't forgive himself. Or much lesser. Yeah. Yeah. The fault of the first servant was obvious. And it was un- the unfairness was obvious to everyone. And I think it's really interesting that we can see so much clearly the fault in the other person than we can in ourselves. Um, what is obvious to the first servant, what is obvious to the rest of the servants is not so obvious to the first servant. So let me ask you this question. Why do you think the first servant can't see what the fellow servants can see? Why do you think the first servant can't see what's so obvious, the, un- the unfairness that's so obvious to everyone else? I heard two somewhere over here. It's coming from a different perspective. It's coming from a different perspective. Cecil, what do you mean? I mean, when, when you're looking at a situation from here, all you can see is what's in front of you. If you're looking at it from a different perspective, you can see more of what's going on around you. Yeah. And you can yeah. see it a lot more clearly. Yeah, I think that's true. Somebody said something over here. Uh, Martin? It's essentially the same thing. It's, it's not unfair to him. Yeah. 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 He doesn't appreciate and really hadn't taken into his heart the grace that he's been given. And I think it also is it's seeing it from a different perspective. And sometimes our own perspective can be a very skewed perspective, or at least mine can. Um, I can be blind to my own situation. I can, the lens through which I'm seeing things can be very prejudiced in my favor. I don't know if y'all are like that, but I can be like that. I know my husband can agree with what I'm saying. We can have a real distorted view of ourselves. We can have a real inflated view of ourselves. Pride gets in the way and prevents us from really seeing what's clear to other people. And somehow, we kind of think that we might be a little bit better than everybody else in, in, a, in a certain, our own little special category, and it can blind us. Um, and you really see that coming through. And I think of the verse in Matthew 7, and I think it's on, it's on the back page of your handout. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Ooh, there's that word again. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So you've kind of, Jesus is on a kind of consistent common theme here. um, Because we really can see others' faults 
so much more clearly than we can ourselves. Um, So back to the parable. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You know, the king's saying, you asked for mercy. It's kind of what Mary was saying. You asked for mercy, I gave you mercy, free and completely, more than you asked for. Um, And then Jesus asked this really penetrating question. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. And you really see, if you step back and look at this parable, you really see the intersection of God's love and God's judgment. Um, And this is a a consistent intersection that you see throughout Scripture, God's mercy and God's severity. They're both part of his character, and we can't play up one at the expense of the other. We have to hold them. There's some tension there. Um, Mark Genelette says this, and this was in a course that Don and I took on the Old Testament prophets. He says, the Old Testament prophets, and he was talking about Jonah, Micah, and Nahum, show us that God is patient, but patient with a limit. Alan Ross says there's no incongruity with God's magnanimous forgiveness and his ruthless judgment. It is because God is so compassionate and merciful that he cannot and will not tolerate those who are not. People who do not forgive do not truly know what it means to be forgiven. Um, There's a verse in Romans 2.4 that really comes to mind when I was studying this. And it says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And that really strikes home with me because, yeah, I do presume on God's kindness and patience and forbearance. And I have to keep reminding myself that God's kindness is meant to lead me to repentance. Um, then let me, let's go back to the, to the parable for this last passage, um, last um, verse. And then Jesus, if, if the parable is not clear in and of itself, he adds this um, really kind of chilling line. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now there's a lot here, and I want to kind of go through it. My first question is, do you think Jesus is serious? Do you think he means what he says? Yeah, this is Sunday school. Yes. (laughs) Um, Jesus' warning to those who, for, who refuse to forgive is very sharp, and it's not ambiguous. Um, Alan Ross says on this passage, he says, What is said in this passage is not hard to follow. It is painfully clear. And I think that's true. And you see the same seriousness and clarity throughout Scripture. Um, what we pray in the Lord's Prayer 
Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And that comes from Matthew 6, that right after the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And then Jesus goes on to say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then in Mark 11, Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And then in Luke, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then Paul in the, in the letter to the Colossians. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then the last verse is from Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus is serious, he's clear, and he's consistent. And it's hard to miss his point. Um, And I know this truth, and I confess this truth, but I have to ask myself, do I live this truth? Do I forgive freely and completely and easily? Forgiveness is hard. And forgiveness is costly. And I think that's one reason Jesus put such an emphasis on it. Um, but how do we forgive when somebody has really done something that really either harms us or really the harder thing is that it harms somebody that we love? How do we do this? And I think there's a clue in this parable And there's a clue in all the verses that we've seen. And I want to show a short clip. um, And then we'll kind of talk about how do we actually do this. And this clip is from Corey Ten Boom, who who lived in Holland um, during the Nazi occupation. And she and her family were Christians. And their home became a safe haven for Jews who were trying to escape um, out of Holland. And they kept this up for years, but eventually they were found out. And the whole family was taken to a concentration camp. And Corey was the only one who survived. Her sister died, her parents died, her relatives died, or really were killed. Um, and she talks about forgiveness, and this is an extreme case, but I think she's got some lessons that we can take back into our lives. So, thank you. I'm 
was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man. It was one of the most cruel officers, guards, in concentration, in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom wants him here forgiven. Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself had no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said it? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I knew, oh, I am not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. <laughs> but I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts one of these boundless resources, Romans 5.5, the love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand, and I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either, but he can. I just find her, and I don't know if you know much about Corey Ten Boom, but I find her ability to forgive this man who came up to her. She, she was speaking, she was teaching after her, she got out of the concentration camp. She really kind of, she wasn't a preacher, but she was a teacher, a Christian teacher. And she's speaking, and this man comes up to, to her 
and says, I know God has forgiven me, but can you forgive me? And her honesty in dealing with that. But what is ultimately, what is, what's the turning point in her story? What really made her, um, her heart change? <coughs> yeah. Did everybody hear Rita? Can you say it again? When she thought, when she realized what she had been forgiven of. Yeah. When she really went in, she drew near to Jesus. She drew near to his word. She went to Romans 5, 5. And um, it says, because God's love, and my translation doesn't say this, but God's love is shed abroad in my heart um, through the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. And I love the mindset. My translation says God's love has been poured out into my heart. But I love the shed abroad. Because it's really, it's kind of, you get this feeling of shed abroad into all the little compartments in my heart. And it touches everything, even the things we don't want it to touch. Um, But she really does, she draws near to Jesus and knows what he has done. And I think that is so instructive for us. Um, And I think it's interesting in, in the parable in what we saw with Corey Ten Boom and in the verses that we looked at, our forgiveness of others is always tied to God's forgiveness of us. And we don't forgive in order to be forgiven by God. We forgive others because we have been forgiven. We forgive because God has forgiven us. And when we really understand that, his mercy melts us. His grace moves us. And, it, and if we can't forgive, the answer is not, well, just try harder. Kind of scold yourself into it. Um, grit your teeth and forgive. No, when we can't forgive... The answer is, and I loved um, Joe's sermon today, is to draw near to Jesus and to look at the cross. And when we draw near to Jesus, he humbles us on the one hand and he lifts us up on the other. And I'm going to read, this is a a hard passage um, or a hard passage paragraph that John Stott wrote in his introduction in his commentary on Galatians. And it says this. He says, Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. It is your sin that I am bearing, your curse that I'm suffering, your debt that I am paying, your death that I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe, cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have an inflated view of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It's here at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. And truly, at the foot of the cross, we see ourselves as we truly are. We are the same size as everybody else. 
no different than anybody else. We are all sinners in need of forgiveness. And that's the point that the servant missed in the parable, that he was no different than the servant who came asking for for forgiveness. When we are at the foot of the cross, it really cures our blindness to our own faults. It dispels our self-deception, and it rids us of pride and arrogance. So when we are at the foot of the cross, when we draw near to Jesus, we do, we shrink to our true size, and we are humbled. But at the same time, at the foot of the cross, we are lifted up. Because where else do you see the full magnitude of God's love for us? We are the joy that was set before him when he endured the cross. We are, he's numbered the hairs on our head. He holds us as the apple of his eye. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, At the foot of the cross is where we hear God's pardoning voice. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, When we draw near to the cross, and it's hard to do this in the busyness of our day, we have to find stillness. But when we draw near to the cross, We really are moved when we can hold those two thoughts simultaneously in our heads that I'm far worse than I ever imagined, but I'm far more loved than I ever dared hope. Um, When we can understand that, we are changed from the inside out. Um, And when we're changed from the inside out, then we can move out into the world to love as God has loved us. To forgive as God has forgiven us. And to accept others, even the difficult others, as God has accepted us. Um, and it's, it's one of those things when, when your, your heart really gets warmed through repentance and thanksgiving and gratitude we really can go out and be radically different people. But, and I wish when I, when I get to that moment, I think if I can stand perfectly still, I can stay like this. You know, you, I really do. I said this two weeks ago. I want an inoculation that just freezes me when my heart is at that point. But, you know, it's a daily, if not hourly, process that we have to, as Christians, keep going back to because our heart grows cold and grows hard like that. And we need to come back to God's grace and what he has done in Christ Jesus. That's where the power is for us as Christians. And we really, we are people who need to be reminded. That's why we, we need church That's why we need our small groups. That's why we need our quiet time. Because we need to be reminded. And we need to have our hearts warmed. Any questions? Victor. I love that Corey Ten Boom story. But one of the great things is, you know, she had the pleasure of him coming up and asking forgiveness. Yeah. 
you know, for most people, that does not happen. You know, yeah. He could have been dead. It could be a parent she's mad at. I mean, the forgiveness really does not involve the other person at all. That's a great point. It's really between you and God mm-hmm. that can be there regardless of what the other person is or isn't doing. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Thank you. Any other thoughts or questions or comments? Yeah, Jim. Well, I've been wrestling with this. I have to divorce try hard not to hate people. So mm-hmm. I don't know if this is fudging, but kind of where I am now is uh, hating, you can hate an act. Yeah. What happened, I feel less guilty then. It's maybe kind of an in-between state uh, apathy or whatever you're trying to go to. So yeah. No, I think that's... got that those strong feelings. Make it seems less destructive to put it towards hating what happened or what somebody did right with yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah. No, no, I think I, th- I think so. Yeah. And knowing that it doesn't hinge on our love for the other person, it hinges on our love for Jesus. And that's the real strength. So, any other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I want that for me, but not for that other person. Yeah. No, I think that's, yeah, that is, is, that is very true. Thank you, Lee. Um, Jane, can I say one quick Absolutely. Just listening to you talk about this, it seems to me that it, it just reinforces how important it is to understand what Scripture says about the doctrine of original sin. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, um, and about uh, uh, total depravity, because if we don't really know that, we don't really understand that and believe that about ourselves, and it becomes harder for it becomes so much easier for me to rationalize. Well, I'm not really that bad, and um, and when I look at the cross, that's a much more emotional thing for me. Without that, it says, "Gosh, I'm I'm, I'm thinking about Christ's uh, uh, pain. I'm thinking about his suffering. I'm thinking about the unfairness of it all. That's a more of an emotional issue uh, that I can get over with pretty quickly. But when I really need to understand." forgiveness, it's when I need to say to myself, oh my gosh, that's me. Mm-hmm. You know, if if I don't understand original sin, then what Christ did on the cross seems kind of way out of proportion. Because if I'm only, if I'm not really that bad, then, you know, why do you have to die for it? Yeah. Just a little thing, couldn't you come up with something else? It must be, what's in me must be awful. And so the importance for us to understand and really wrestle with for ourselves um, that, that notion of total depravity. You know, total depravity doesn't mean we're depraved all the time. It means that everything about us and in us is touched by depravity from sinfulness. So. Yeah, no, I think that's a, excellent. Um, I'm going to close this in a prayer, and this is from the old um, prayer book. And this is in, this is part of the family prayers, and I love this prayer. So, um, and it's a little bit of the old English, so just kind of bear with me. Let us pray. God, who knows the weakness and corruption of our nature and the manifold temptations with which we meet daily, we humbly beseech Thee to have compassion on our infirmities and to give us the constant assistance of Thy Holy Spirit, that we may be effectively restrained from sin and incited to our duty. 
imprint on our hearts such a dread of thy judgments and such a grateful sense of thy goodness to us as as may make us both afraid and ashamed to offend thee. And above all, keep in our minds a lively remembrance of that great day in which we must give a strict account of our thoughts, words, and actions to him who who thou hast appointed the judge of the quick and the dead, thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you all.